Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Well, hello again. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is Jennifer Warren. Jennifer is an amazing singer, actress, improviser. She, like all of the people, I feel like I say the same thing, but there are just so many amazing, talented people who have so many different skills. It is crazy. She's also a super mom, and she's also a lady I have gotten to work with, but I had not talked to in a long time, so it was really, really great to reconnect with her. Before we start the show, I do want to welcome three new Tutti Fruities, Martin K. Does that sound familiar, Martin K.? Maybe that might be the same person as Martin Kunz, my friend who lives in L.A., who was actually on episode two of the podcast. Martin is such a good friend, and he's supporting the show. He's so sweet. I'm like, you don't have to send me money. I'll still be your friend, maybe. But I do thank him. Also want to welcome Dorothy M. Hi, Dorothy. And Peter B. Peter, you are awesome. So it's my pleasure to welcome all of you to the family. The Tutti Fruities, of course, are the people who support the show through Patreon at the $3 a month level. You get all kinds of fun extra videos. You get an extra podcast with me and Matthew Arder every month. And if you want to be like these awesome people, Martin K., Dorothy M., and Peter B., just check out the links in your show notes and on this show's webpage. Now, this week... Jennifer Warren and I watched Season 6, Episode 11, called Smile, and the original air date was December 5th of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Jennifer Warren. Well, Jen Warren, welcome to the show. I am ecstatic to be here. You have no idea. That excitement came through in your response to my texts. And I'm like, oh, okay. Are you a fan of the show? Were you a Facts of Life person growing up? I was not. It's like a little bit in the middle for me. It wasn't quite on. I was born in 80. So I, I like was a teen in the 90s. Like, so it just kind of, it wasn't on Nick at Night quite yet, but I mm -hmm. think it had already run its course. So it, it didn't. I, it didn't pop up for me a lot, but I've seen it randomly in replays, of course, and I know of the characters and I know of the storyline, but no, not a super fan before this. Interesting. But the thing is, even the people who aren't super fans, unless they're really, really young, everybody knows who Blair and Joe and Tootie and Natalie are. Yes, I was. No, even though not like super knowledgeable about the show, I know those names. I know those characters. I know mm -hmm. who they are. Um, and I have to tell you, watching this episode to prepare for this show, I am now a super fan of the show. It was really excellent and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, good. That's yeah, so you've made me a fan and I'm going to now probably go back and look for all the episodes. <laughs> uh, you can find them at that website that I sent you at dailymotion.com. That's sadly the only place you can find 
the the complete catalog of them but also uh make a roku channel account if you don't have one the roku channel rotates the seasons and they do post the ones that they have in in their entirety not uh edited down for uh reruns which is what you watched oh of this one and we will be talking about what was edited out (gasps) yes how exciting oh Oh, i I see i won't know because i've only seen the one Mm -hmm. well i will dive deep right here as we discuss let me do my little business here season six episode 11 called smile the original air date was december 5th of 1984 the story is by mark miller Mark Miller has only written this one episode of The Facts of Life. He doesn't come back to The Facts of Life at all. But he'll go on to write a few episodes of She's the Sheriff, one of the episodes of Out of the Blue. And then if you look at his IMDb, suddenly his his career shifts dramatically as a visual effects producer and executive producer. Wow starting with Star Trek Voyager, 103 episodes. And then you go on to other shows that are quite well known, the TV show Fringe. Uh, That's a a J.J. Abrams show, the one he did after Lost. Uh, The New Hawaii Five-0, Grimm, Community, The Mindy Project, Sleepy Hollow, Uh, just a lot of credits and all of them, visual effects, executive producer. Talented guy. So clearly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but that was his story. Linda Marsh and Margie Peters are the ones who did the actual uh, teleplay of this, and they are the writers that were brought in at the beginning of season two to fix the show because season one was a hot, steaming mess. Really, it's like all a lot of shows. You have to get through that first season. Yes. To get to the good stuff. Yeah, and this is directed by Asad Kelada, and this is his penultimate episode that he will be directing of the Facts of Life. Oh, um, penultimate, that was a, what is that? Isn't the great, penultimate hurt. meaning not the last one, but the one right before the last one. Okay, now we're back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, words are hard. The last one is going to be season six, episode 15, which is called Working It Out. So that is in four more episodes. That will be the last one. Uh, But we do need to remember season six was taped out of order because Nancy McKeon was going through some contract talks. And uh, so this, in fact, was the second filmed episode of the season, the first being episode four. And this is the second and final of the Nancy McKeon-less episodes here in season six. Did you notice that she wasn't in the show? No, I mean, I, I didn't super notice, but that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. What was yep. she going? She was going through something. What did you say it was? It was, it was, we call them contract talks. And uh, uh, here's the thing. I've been talking about it for a few episodes now, and we're about to now with this one really kind of wrap it up. It's kind of the last time I'm probably going to bring it up. But uh, I'm going to post a video on the website for this episode. It's from a special produced in 2009 called Cast Confessions, The Facts of Life, that was produced for the Biography Channel. And I did it to kind of remind myself what little we were told about this. And based on the accounts of uh, an NBC executive, a TV guide writer, one of the associate directors for the show, a television historian, and Mindy Cohn herself. It seems as though Nancy McKeon was making less than the other girls. And she 
did not just not appear due to contract negotiations. She kind of went on strike and didn't show up. Wow. Yeah. And it looks like that when they went back to the drawing board and tried to negotiate, they said, we're not raising your salary. We're going to pay you for the two episodes that you didn't show up for and call it a day. But then somehow somebody came in back behind that decision and said, you know what? All of them should be paid the same thing, which is a bump for everybody. So the 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 story that they tell is that uh, it ended up working out well for everybody, but it was a little hairy in that Nancy McKeon did kind of go on strike and not show up. It sounds to me like they kind of have her to thank for their more money then, huh? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and she saved the show if anybody was uh, entitled to say, uh, you need to compensate me fairly. It's like the show was nothing until she came on in season two. Yeah, I'm surprised it, it took six seasons for her to find out. <sighs> yeah. And, uh, and Mindy Cohn does say part of what the problem is, is that we're all girls and girls don't talk about money. No, they don't. Mm -mm. No, they do not. That's uh, it's uncomfortable that's another... yet for us. Yeah. I mean, socially, I'm sure it's not for every girl, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a good thing. And I'll be posting the video with all of those specific interviews from those people telling this story. And one other little note is that uh, Tootie's braces had come off previously, Jen, but now with this episode being an earlier taped one broadcast later, for one episode, suddenly, boop, Tootie's got her braces back. Oh, that's really funny. Mm -hmm. They just had a really quick go back, put them back on real quick. They missed one thing. Yeah, they should have fixed, fixed it in post. Yeah. <laughs> they could have sent it over to Skywalker Ranch. George Lucas could have fixed it in, in CGI, <laughs> taking the braces out, but they're cheap, you know, they're cheap. Yep. Nope, yep. nope. And then you know what? I might not have even noticed it, even if I had watched the whole season, <laughs> frankly. And the last thing before we get into the meat of the episode is I'm always fascinated with the titles of the shows. And we know that back in the day, they didn't matter. The titles were just a formality to distinguish one episode from the other when award season came about. So I look at this episode and I'm like, smile. A lot of times these writers, even Linda Marsh and Margie Peters, will get caught in these old school, old showbiz vaudevillian terms and titles. So we are continuing that string here because I'm like, okay, well, where did the title Smile come from? The show does try to be somewhat timely in some cases. So I'm like, is there a movie? Is there a song? Is there something? Uh, I can't find a movie. There was a 1975 movie called Smile about a pageant, and it was later made into a Broadway musical in 1986. And uh, But that's that post-dates this, and it wasn't popular. It's actually considered kind of one of the great lost Broadway musicals because they never recorded a cast album. Ah, and that's okay. how a lot of Broadway musicals live on, and lesser performing musicals can find their footing and build an audience with the right. cast recordings and smile is one of those shows that uh didn't didn't do it okay. uh the best i can figure is that this is a reference to god help me charlie chaplin's song smile from the movie modern times in 1936. yeah I, i'm i'm horrified do you know what the move the song i'm thinking of <laughs> Yeah, smile, though your heart is aching. That one, right? Yep, smile, yeah, yeah, yeah. even though but, it's breaking. But doesn't that make sense because of what um, Natalie's going to go through? Precisely. I think but the song... You don't like it? 
I love it and I love the song and it's great, but this is 1984. <laughs> Why are you referring to a song that is 48 years old that even your parents might be like, well, how does that song go again? What? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, your parents in 1984, not, not our right. current parents, but that's what it's got to be. So sadly, this is on brand for them to make a reference to something really, really, really old. Really old. Mm. Love it. They're staying classic. I guess so. And it is. <laughs> that song is a classic. And it's the song is literally about when you're sad, smile, what's the use in crying? You'll find it still is life worthwhile. It's basically it's put on a happy face yeah. before Bye Bye Birdie was written. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that I think clears up all the, the bidness of the episode. And so this is the time during the podcast, Jen, where I like to put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence short synopsis of the entire episode, similar to what you might find in a TV guide listing. All right, so uh, uh, we have Natalie. She's very excited about the prospect of an internship. She's also dating uh, a really swell guy at the same time. And she is going to have a hardship that could either tear them apart or pull them closer. Ooh, nice. Right? I can't spoil the whole thing. You don't want to spoil too much? it. No, you don't. That's it. The TV guide wouldn't say, you know, <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. Shirley dies. It wouldn't do that. <laughs> it would say Shirley battles a life-threatening illness, you know? Right. You're you're totally right to to not spoil. And most people do do that when they do that on the show. So that was All right. awesome. All right. Yes, I did it. That was awesome. <laughs> so we begin the episode at Edna's Edibles. We have a customer just leaving the shop. Blair and Tootie are working, and very quickly after this customer leaves, Blair discovers that there is a, a package, and she calls Mrs. Garrett into the store from the kitchen, and it turns out it's a rose. And it's not just a rose, it's another rose that's been left behind by some sort of a secret admirer, yes. and uh, he calls her an American beauty. Yes, and she's very excited about this. Yeah, and so Blair is Blair is skeptical. It's funny. Blair is, I'm trying to think who is, Tootie tends to be the more romantic. So it's very good uh, that Tootie is sort of the one like, oh, but it's cool. Tootie's into it. Blair is right. like, he could be a lunatic. Right. Mrs. This Garrett, man is, needs to reveal himself because he's probably going to kill you in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They do try for a joke and um and and Blair I've got to say there are the jokes in this episode are really no better or worse than the jokes you find in other episodes this audience is sitting on their hands this audience is not very responsive they're very quiet did you notice Interesting. that I didn't but I also like I said I haven't I don't have anything yeah. to compare it to exactly but you noticed that huh yeah. And for how many people accuse the show of having a laugh track? I'm like, this is a great example of clearly they did not because nowadays they would be sweetening that so much. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. and um, it was kind of like a, like, um, do they usually have lots of guffaw type of jokes in there? This one seemed like it was, it was pleasurable and it was fun and I was enjoying it. I was engaged the whole time, but nothing like super like, ha ha, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> I guess not. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice because it is it does have a little more emotional depth to it, as we mm -hmm. will discover. And uh, so we do try for a joke where Mrs. Garrett says, uh, well, he's done this three days in a rose. This is her third rose. And she says, I know at the right moment he'll expose himself. Yeah. And Blair says, that's what I'm afraid of. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. And that's a good one. That's a good one. I agree. That should have been a laugh. I, yes. I don't get it. That should have been a laugh. Um, so then Natalie comes in and she, we learn, has applied for a job at the Peekskill Press to be a newsroom intern. And very quickly, uh, the, the thing I, I'm constantly criticizing the show, Jen, when they are not consistent when they're doing that 80s sitcom thing of we need this one thing to be true for this one episode and then we're never going to mention it again right when characters do things like like blair being skeptical i kind of like that because blair is so used to guys approaching her and mm -hmm. falling at her feet she tends to not have to deal with any of these the, there's no run around there's no uh there's no games involved Right. So I'm okay with Blair being skeptical of this Rose thing. Well, we have a very on-brand reaction from Natalie. As they are talking about this job and have you heard anything for it? You had this interview with the Peekskill Press. Natalie is constantly saying, don't talk about it. Don't jinx it. But you're going to be a big reporter. I'm going to be an intern and stop talking about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm going to go see my new boyfriend, Brian, over at the gelato shop, and I'm not going to think about it very Natalie, yes. because that is also, I think, related to the very Jewish thing of Kinahora, I believe is what it's called. Ooh, where what does that mean? Kinahora, uh, I think literally translates to absence of the evil eye. Okay. So that is where you don't draw attention to something that is good, that benefits you, because if you if you cast a light on it, the evil eye will see it, and then it will be taken away from Take you. Take it away. Yep. Okay. So it's partially about not being braggardly or boastful, but it's a very common thing I am learning in my research when this has come up before, is that it also spills over into uh, never highlighting anything positive. Uh, parents not crediting or encouraging their children Charlotte Ray herself wrote about this in her memoir, how the only time she ever heard any approval from her mother over her acting career was at one time, the mother said to her sister, oh, I saw Charlotte in that play and it was wonderful. It was like I was watching somebody else. And Charlotte Ray had to hear wow. that from her sister. Wow. That's never heard any kind of praise from her mother but that's she attributes it to the the jewish culture of you don't do that because that is just it'll be taken away from you wow that's fascinating because yeah. we definitely have that mentality of don't get your hopes up about it because it'll make you so sad if you don't get it but yeah I, i've never thought about it that way like if i pay attention to it it's not gonna happen <laughs> yeah that's it and yeah and if something good happens don't be too happy about it because it could be taken away at any minute i don't enjoy it for god's sake yes <laughs> so this is this is very very natalie and i was kind of like oh good this is very how i would expect her to to respond to it it's great so no sooner are we being told not to talk about it or think about it in comes brian this new boyfriend that they were just talking about 
Oh, I love him so much. He's the sweetest. I'm like, wow, what a good <sighs> guy. I'm like, please date me, Brian. If yes. you don't want Natalie, <laughs> I am here for you. You are the sweetest without being a sensitive new age guy kind of a thing. Yeah. But he's for how attentive cool. he is. And yes. oh, he's awesome. Uh, the only thing I'll say about the casting is he's supposed to be a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't quite give off a very athletic vibe, but I, I forgive them that because I love him so much. Yes. I Listen, I'll sign a petition. Maybe we can make it happen. Yes. <laughs> let's do it. Where is he now? I wonder. And, well, I will tell you. The oh, actor's okay. name is Casey Simazko. Okay. And uh, that's a, a problematic last name when you're in show business. I'm going to say it. I know nowadays <laughs> your Chuetel Ejiofers are famous and all that, so complicated names are becoming more commonplace. But his last name is spelled S-I-E-M-A-S-Z-K-O. Simazko. I'm seeing a, an S and a Z, so that tells me it might be Polish or Hungarian mm -hmm. in descent. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, but anyhow, he... Uh, is he's actually someone you have likely seen many, many times. I believe it. In the Back to the Future movies, part one no and way. two. Oh my gosh, who is he? Is he it like is, a prominent character? He is 3D. He's one of Biff's minions <gasps> of the bad guys that follow Biff Tannen around. No way. Okay, so he's got range. He's got range. <laughs> he's got the 3D glasses on the whole time and the character's name is 3D. Uh, I will point out at one point uh, a few weeks ago, we had an actress on and I found out that she played Babs, who is one of Lorraine's, Leah Thompson's best friends. So wow. you don't really notice them. But 3D, it's like when you say the guy with the 3D, you go, oh yeah, I, there's yeah. a guy in the movies that wears the guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How and funny. he's also, here's a funny thing for how much we love him for what a sweetie he is. He's a minion of Biff Tannen. He also plays one of the minions of Kiefer Sutherland in Stand By Me. Oh, don't get mad at me. I have not seen that movie. <laughs> no, it's okay. I won't get mad at you. But Kiefer Sutherland is the bad guy in that movie. So wow. it's such a funny thing because he is so sweet and he He's doesn't so look stupid. evil. No, he does not. No. Oh my gosh, that is very surprising. And I'm very impressed. He's super talented. Yeah, very much. <laughs> and the last thing I'll point out is, I'm sorry, last two things. He was the second lead in the Burt Reynolds movie, Breaking In. Okay which is where Burt Reynolds plays a veteran burglar or criminal. And you've got the young guy that he takes on as a, as a protege and uh, Casey plays the protege. That's the two Burt Reynolds and this guy, Casey in the poster for this uh, breaking in movie. And lastly, the movie young guns from 1988. Wow. That is, is a, he a bad who? guy in this one too. Uh, I, I don't know, because that one I've not seen, but it's a cowboy movie with all the yeah. hot young actors of the day. Right. So when you look at the picture of the cast of the movie, it is Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Dermot Mulroney, Kiefer Sutherland again, Lou Diamond Phillips, 
and KCC Masco. And this guy. And this guy. <laughs> you, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but you look at it and you're like, oh, he's the one that didn't become famous of right. all those others. <laughs> you know what, though? He can go shopping and be left alone. So I think he did it right. <laughs> uh, true. And he did do some other voice work, video games. Uh, later on, he's done multiple episodes of NYPD Blue, Law & Order, Damages. Yeah. He's still out there. He's still working. He will be 60 in March. Wow, happy birthday, yes. uh, Mr. Semesco. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that was fascinating to to look back on this. But um, Brian, so Brian comes into the shop, he's just popping in to say hi to Natalie and hoping she has good news about the job. And very quickly, Natalie makes some type of a joke about, about the ice cream. And yeah. Uh, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll keep all my fingers crossed. And she says, well, you're not going to be able to serve the ice cream like that. Ha ha. <laughs> and Zinga. then Zinga, as Tony Witten used to say, Sheboygan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so his response to her is you're the greatest. Hmm. And she is so happy. And yeah. after he leaves, we do learn expositionally that he is a freshman on the varsity wrestling team he's a uh, uh, he's so he's at langley college the college where blair and joe go natalie is a high school senior so she's really excited that she's dating a college boy right um, and uh they're like well why wouldn't he like you you're you're great and she says and i'm funny and he, she, they said you're sweet and she keeps coming back with them uh extolling all of her positive qualities and she keeps responding with and i'm funny yep and uh yeah. like we want so to put much self-deprecation like 100 percent. yeah and we we want to put a pin in that for a little bit later so then we get to the gelato shop where brian works and uh gelato was not really a big thing in the 80s that was fairly exotic I, don't you yeah, think i didn't even notice i didn't even notice that it was a gelato shop i was seeing it as an ice cream shop. I don't know if I just like blocked out that they were saying gelato, but yeah, it is interesting. I don't feel like I, when I was a kid, I saw gelato shops. Yeah. Yeah. So in the shop, Natalie has shown up afterwards. And, and we did have a funny bit before we left the other scene where Natalie's like, I'm going to be at the gelato shop after five. So here's the phone number. Before that, I'm going to be at the library. Here's the phone number. Like when the paper calls, call me and tell me. Yes, this is where I will be at every moment for the mm -hmm. rest of this day. Yeah, yeah. including, uh, oh my gosh, between 4.45 and 5 o'clock, I'm going to be in transit. You won't be able to reach me. What am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 1980s, when we couldn't reach each other every minute of every day. Right? Can you even imagine now? Simpler times. Yeah. Simpler times. So while they're at the ice cream shop, they do call it the ice cream shop, too. Um we uh we talk about that he has a wrestling match coming up at stafford college and he says he and the team love when natalie comes to the games because she cheers and yells and insults the referee's family yes <laughs> uh so we do have a possibly close to sexual joke here oh really where he says i want you to try a new flavor and she says okay and he says it's passion fruit and she says, I thought you'd never ask. Yes, I did catch what? on to that. It was super sassy. I was there for it. It was very cute. And I was yes. like, yeah, Natalie, you get it. Get it. We do know she doesn't lose her virginity for another three years. <laughs> oh, Brian. Yeah. Oh, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
but this uh this guy and this girl come up to the counter and they order uh they order some ice cream and there's a weird moment with the girl oh. did you catch this oh it's wretched she's the worst okay i'm not sure i was reading it correctly or oh no she uh, was, it seems like you were at it okay tell me oh, explain yeah. to me what you saw i'm curious she was noticing i believe she was judging natalie for not being a standard beauty that's what i believe okay good i feel like that too and it was a laugh yeah and yeah. they order these two the the two gelati and he says uh brian says cup or cone and she says cup i'm on a diet and flashes a look at natalie uh-huh yeah and, and she is like a stick she's a typical 80s anorexic bulimic model i mean yep very very thin yeah and obviously judging natalie harshly yeah it's yeah. it's very weird by the way we've seen this actress before on the show oh really oh my gosh i think it's so funny when they do that playing a different role yeah and it's funny because <laughs> they could have just given her the same thing she she was called paula in this episode she played a role called penny in taking a chance on love part one which i think was episode seven so that was only four episodes ago uh with that she was just a girl sitting at a coffee shop with joe and some other classmates and joe ends up getting involved with her teacher with her professor but this girl plays up that she's got a crush on the teacher too oh. so we were kind of like penny you're a whore listen penny calm down <laughs> if anyone is going to have an inappropriate relationship with a college professor it's going to be joe not you yeah huh. <laughs> yeah and she definitely thinks she's hot stuff yeah and she also had a little role called swoozy that i don't remember in the movie high school usa that was a tv movie that starred michael j fox and nancy mckeon our joe who is not wow. in this episode yeah. wow okay all right but see hollywood is a small world it is i mean when you get to the same casting people when you know mm -hmm. they kind of cross pollinate and uh you see that a lot actually throughout yeah. the, the series for sure but I'm glad that you read the same thing I did. I'm like, that looks like she's flashing a glare at Natalie, like you could use a cup yourself, honey, instead of a mm -hmm. cone. Yeah, oh yeah, she definitely was. And, and it's like so gross, right? But at the same time, uh, when I was like just reading blogs and preparing for, for this interview, I, I came across uh, things that said Natalie was such a huge um, boost to women in that time. And so mm -hmm. in a way, even though it was a gross moment in the episode, I think it brings up something that people probably endured and still endure and shines a light on it. And so, yeah, I don't love that it was like a laugh line, but also it maybe did um, show people what some people have to deal with, you know? Yeah. And the thing that a lot of people credit the show for, Mindy Cohn herself, is that there has never been in the entire series an episode about Natalie being fat and Natalie's size was never a joke. And by the way, she's fairly slim yeah, this season. No, she's, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting for a show that never made a fat joke. They do often make a food joke here and there mm -hmm. about Natalie liking to eat. Mm -hmm. But um, that's, yeah, this is a very weird thing. I almost wish they had, you wish the joke was written better. The interesting thing is, a cup instead of a cone is a little bit funny. 
just <laughs> the idea that okay honey you're not saving the calories <laughs> it's right. the ice cream is the problem not the right. cone there's well she's not having the carbs you see david yeah <laughs> exactly so it's the fact that she flashed that look at natalie that's directorial they oh, could yeah. have just had her stare dead-eyed at brian and it might have gotten a little chortle like oh god poor thing she thinks that this is how you how you stay thin yeah i don't know I yeah. really don't know. No, I think they were trying to make the the joke a fat joke, which, you know, is not not cool. Yeah. And maybe the only other thing I'll give them maybe some credit for is the fact that this guy who is with her, this character's name is Paula and the guy is credited as Buddy. Buddy is also from this other school that Brian mentioned earlier, Stafford College which does not exist that's a fictional college okay but he says oh you're the guy uh, who's on the wrestling team you're like the star freshman of the langley wrestling team and brian's like yeah well you know and again sweet and humble i love him so much <laughs> <laughs> but but buddy is he's not quite a dick about it but he's like well uh we've got a guy in our wrestling team who's kind of the size of the Incredible Hulk. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, there's a guy on our team that's probably going to give you a big run for your money. So, you know, hey, watch out, competition. I'm, I'm making finger guns. I don't know why. <laughs> finger guns are funny. Yeah. When you're saying but, some, something yeah. wacky. But so, so the idea is he wasn't quite being a dick, but there was a little sense of, uh, oh, you're a Langley student. Well, I'm with Stafford and uh, we got a guy that's a pretty good wrestler. Yeah. So maybe it was trying to play up the fact that this buddy guy is almost a douche. And then this girl, Paula, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> How dare she flash a look at Natalie like she thinks she's fat. Yes. They're, they're, they're kind of like those, those characters on SNL. Uh, yeah. That are like, she's, he's like, you look like a rabbit. Do you know those characters? on uh, snl the, the douchebags Kristen Wiig. yeah 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 the douche, douchebags yeah they're, they're always in their phone she's like chewing the gum yeah. yeah 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 that's who they are they're the 80s version or they're something. the 80s version of the douchebags i think that's what <laughs> yes. the characters are called <laughs> it was jason sudeikis and Kristen wig yeah. and Kristen wig yeah yep mm -hmm. <laughs> so um cut from syndication is a little extra bit uh you see that there's a character credited as alice played by an actress named kelly dunn Literally, a person across the room shouts over, we're ready to order now. And Brian walks over to them because we need to get Brian out of the frame. Right. Part of me want to be like, it's an ice cream shop. I'm not your fucking waiter. Right. <laughs> but you do what you got to do in sitcoms. Right. You really do. Right. Right. And yeah. so what is happening is Tootie comes into the shop. And Natalie very quickly is like, oh, my God, you're here. What happened? They called. What is it? And Tootie's like, no, I'm here to pick up some gelato from Mrs. Garrett's Bridge Club. And Natalie's like, Ugh. she's like, I had, a, I nearly had a heart attack. How could you do that to me? And Brian quickly walks over and he's like, whoa, is, there, is everything okay? And Natalie's like, everything's fine, but nothing's yeah. wrong. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, I figured Tootie's here. Maybe you might've heard something. You seem like you're a little anxious, he says. Yeah. And she's like, nope, everything's totally fine. Bye. And then the scene ends there. Yeah. So that's a little more of the same. It is it is kind of extractable. I didn't mind it being cut out. Sometimes they cut out things and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. So that's uh, the thing. So then the next scene, we get to Mrs. Garrett at the house behind the shop. 
where she and Blair are looking at the now 10 roses that have been left behind by her secret admirer. Yes. <laughs> it's getting weirder. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but that's a good, also, it's a good way to show passage of time. Because yeah. she said he'd been leaving one every day. We were at three, so now it is a week later. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Uh, Natalie comes down the stairs and she's sad. She did not get the job. The paper called. And there is a singular line that they cut as she sits down on the couch. And she just says, oh, I really wanted to work there because the, the, it would have looked great on my resume when I applied to Columbia. Okay. So that's the first inclination about Natalie planning ahead for her future at college. Spoiler alert, she's not going to go to college. She's going to take some time off. Oh. And that's going to be a, a thing because she's a senior now. She will be graduating yeah. at the end of this season. Yeah. Uh, but this is interesting that she was thinking academically, but they cut the line for time. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah. she is looking at Columbia. Um. So the girls are wonderfully sympathetic, empathetic. They comfort her. And uh, Mrs. Garrett says, do you really feel like going out with Brian tonight? Why don't you just tell him you want to stay in and we can all just sit around and make you feel better? And Natalie is like, no, do not tell Brian. I'm not mm -hmm. telling him. And I have to admit, I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. And she says, we have a good relationship going on. I don't want to ruin it. And the, bell, the doorbell rings and she's like, guys, please don't say anything, please. And I, I was like, the first time I watched this episode, I didn't like it. I watched it the second time and I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here. And I, I swear to God, I think this episode might be a little too subtle for its own good. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We'll get All to right. that at the end. Uh, but the deal is when Brian comes in, he's kind of down himself. Yeah. And she's like, what's the matter? And he's like, I had a lousy practice. The coach was really laying into me. And do you mind if we don't go to the movies tonight? Here is one of those lines that drives me crazy. Why? What does he say? The coach wants me to check out the competition. And Stafford is wrestling at Cornell tonight. Implication being, let's not go to the movies. Let's go to Cornell University. Yeah. We are in Peekskill, New York, Jen. Do you know how far away <laughs> Peekskill, New York is from Ithaca, New York, where Cornell University is? Clearly not, because I was like, what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> it is three hours and 30 minutes by car. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I'm sure you've watched an episode or two of The Golden Girls. I have, yes. The Golden Girls. It's like, oh, my niece and nephew are coming to visit us here in Miami. What are we going to do with them? And they'll say things like, oh, maybe we could take them up to Disney. And Blanche is like, oh, I know a great bar in Cocoa Beach where all the sailors come into port. And you're like, whoa, whoa, time out. You do not pop up to Disney in Orlando, which is four hours away. Right. No, this is not a simple trip. You don't go for a drink at a no. bar in Cocoa Beach. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Blanche might drive that far for a drink. <laughs> yeah, to get laid, she just might. Yeah. yeah. But this is such the thing of Hollywood people in California writing, and it's like, I've heard of two places that exist in New York. <laughs> they must be a hop, skip, and a jump from each other. They didn't have the Google back then. I, it's, but they, <laughs> they had a map. They had to look up a map. 
<laughs> Did you expect the dive to be this deep? Did you really? Listen, you told me you were going to dive deep and I'm here for it. I was living for it. I'm excited about it. So I died. Uh, that sounded so sexual. Happy. I didn't mean it that way. Hot. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, there. So there. I've spoken my piece about Cornell. Amen. Uh, so uh, in response to this, in response to I'm sad about this bad meat and I need to go. Basically, he needs to work. He has to go and watch another freaking wrestling meet over three hours away. And Natalie's response is, sure, 15 guys in shorts, I'll suffer. <laughs> and so Tootie, they all go into the kitchen. Mrs. Garrett and Blair leave to kind of leave them alone. And Tootie is, Tootie who can be a little bitch sometimes. This is, this is on brand for two. Tootie sticks around. And so, he once again says, yeah, the coach was really laying into me. It was just a rough day. And so Tootie is kind of like, yeah, things haven't been so great here either. Yeah, she hung around for an awkwardly long time. To, to rat out Natalie and do yeah. exactly the opposite of what her friend asked her to do. Yeah, she did. She was just hanging out. I was like, why is she still there? Yeah. <laughs> She's right. I mean, I'm giving her that. She is in the right. Natalie sure. is acting like an idiot. Yes. But it's like still... You, you need a promise, kind of, sort of. Yeah. So Natalie does fess up. I was glad that we didn't make a big old uh, sitcom. No, be quiet. No, Tootie. Let's let's stick her face into a pie and shove her out of the room. <laughs> she She's having an attack. <laughs> it literally just is. Natalie says, yeah, I heard from the paper. I didn't get the job. And his response is, you mean they blew you out of the water just like that? And Natalie says, hey, battleships get blown out of the water. Me, I'm the unsinkable Natalie Green. And then as they start to leave, he kind of tries to once again comfort her or say, like, you know, we could commiserate. There's a point where he kind of sits down like, ah, oh, let's, let's kind of breathe for a moment to take yeah. this in. And she is just up grabbing her purse like, okay, well, let's get going. Yep. We got to drive three and a half hours. So, uh yeah so don't you know people like that you know people like that don't you that you can tell something's wrong but they fake so hard that mm. you're just like yeah. um we you know you could talk about this yeah yeah what's wrong nothing <laughs> <laughs> no everything's all right fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note this is again i think a little uh, it's it's subtle it's nicely subtle and we'll get to the what it all means later but yeah. when i first watched the episode i was like so what is this show about natalie doesn't get a thing she's dating a guy and she's acting like a stupid person what is yes. how, this guy is awesome yeah anyway well and she can't read it on him in that moment i feel like i'm an empath i would have recognized what he was doing and i mm -hmm. would even if i had those walls that made me unable to open up really easily because i just have to stay on the bright side of things like for my sanity yeah i would have felt what he was doing and she's it's like she doesn't realize it at all yeah she's yeah very much trapped in her own thing yeah and her avoidance of her own thing to the point that she is not seeing what's going on with him and yeah. he's telling her it's not uh -huh. a high he says explicitly what went wrong and why he's a little down yeah and she is not natalie you are not stepping up as a girlfriend yeah yeah gotta, be vulnerable yeah you gotta do better girl you gotta do better <laughs> 
So uh, on that note, we go to commercial. And Jen, commercial is the time where I like to ask my guests a little bit about themselves, their lives, their careers, and introduce you personally to my tens of listeners. <laughs> so I would you, love to. Well, if you will indulge me, I'm just curious, really pretty much the life path that got you to performance and to Central Florida. And uh, so let's, let's, go, let's go back to 1980, where was Jennifer uh, Warren born? Jennifer Warren was, well, Jennifer Warren was born Jennifer Raymond mm -hmm. in uh, Indiana. I was born oh, in Indianapolis. Oh, that's right. You're one of those heterosexual married people. I forgot. <laughs> yes, I did the, I name changed. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I uh, was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, January 31st of 1980. And is that where you grew up? Is that where you consider your, your home to be? I, I have two homes. So a fun fact about me is that my parents had a show band when I was growing up. It was called Morningstar Show Band. Shut uh, up! Yeah, so we played weddings and bars and hotels and uh, traveled a lot as a kid. So we lived um, half the year in Indiana. And then um, in the winter, we would come to Florida, um, South Florida. My parents were the house band at the Marriott on Marco Island for a very long time. Um, so I used to spend uh, half the year in Indy and half, half the year down here. And how old were you? you? You keep saying we as though you were a part of the act. How old were you when they said, get her up on stage? Let's start making some money off this kid. Yes, I was about seven years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been singing with them since I was uh, little. Wow. Yeah. So you, it's literally in your blood and in your upbringing. And so was it ever a consideration for you to not be a performer? Were you ever at that tween age where it's like, fuck you, mom and dad, I'm going to be a corporate attorney. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, I had a, I think I want to say I was about 12 when a kid who had seen me perform uh, saw me in public and yelled across like a sidewalk. Um, I used to sing, do you know that song? Shooting down the walls of heartache, bang, bang. Yeah. I am the warrior. So <laughs> I used to sing this when I was like 12 years old. And this kid screamed across the street, hey, look, guys, it's the warrior. <laughs> and they all uh. laughed at me. And they ran off. And in my adulthood, I can now see that they were just, they probably liked me, right? Isn't that what we say? Uh, they, they pull the pigtails yeah. or whatever. Um, <sighs> but I Boys. was humiliated. Boys, seriously. God, I was the worst. humiliated. And I told my dad. I wanted to quit and my dad convinced me not to quit, but I was so embarrassed that I proceeded to then sing in the smallest way that I could. I didn't, I was, I used to be a ham when I was little, I was a total ham and uh -huh. just, you know, and I got to this surly age, you know, almost a teenager got made fun of. So I would just stand there. I would just stand there and sing. Uh-huh. But he got me through it. He pushed me to continue. And had he not like, um, he kind of single-handedly at least kept me practicing. I probably would have come back to it at some point, but um, wow. yeah, no, there was never a question to, for my parents what I would do with my life. Like they always knew I would be a performer and they were always supportive and they are my biggest fans. Oh, that's nice. It goes, it can go so many different ways as far as you have parent performers that encourage their kids to be in the family business. And then you've got 
performer parents who are like, don't, do not live this life. But it seems like your parents were, were pretty successful and had some pretty steady gigs going on. So they, they didn't feel like this was a, a horrible life to, to bring their children into. Correct. Yeah, they, they made a living doing what they loved. And they both had teaching degrees, actually. So they did still, you know, have an expectation that I would go to college and they still had kind of that traditional mentality. But um, they didn't care if I went to college for performing or for whatever, but they knew I would always probably be a performer. So um, uh, were there so, siblings? Yeah. I do. I have a younger sister. She's seven years younger than me. And it's uh -huh. funny, my parents are educators and also musicians, and I'm a performer and my sister is a teacher. So oh, yeah, we, nice. both, we both took on the family business. That's great. So I assume you went on to study college performance. Did you go I to college? Did. I did. I went to UCF here in Orlando. Oh, um, yeah. And I started as a vocal performance major um, and actually somebody that uh, was a year ahead of me that you're probably familiar with, the fabulously talented Michelle Knight. Michelle uh, Knight. I need to get her on the show. Yes, you do. Um, she was a year ahead of me in school and she was a vocal performance major mm -hmm. and she switched to the theater department. Oh. And I hated music theory too. And I was like, I don't compose. This is not, I don't understand. Like mm -hmm. it was really hard. And I was like, wait, we don't as opera majors and singing majors, we don't take acting. And they were like, no. And I was like, that seems odd. We should be learning how to act, right? Like even if we're opera singers, we should still know yeah. how to act. Yeah. So um, I followed in Michelle's footsteps and I followed her the next year over to the theater department and got my uh, degree in uh, musical theater. Well, at yeah. a girl. Yeah. And so did you ever leave Central Florida? Did you get involved with the theme parks uh, during college or just after? Yeah, just after I auditioned for SeaWorld, a show, a little show at SeaWorld. Um, that actually you and I were chatting about Laura Hodas before this. Uh, the wonderful the guest wonderful, of the podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, the wonderful, many, oh gosh, so many talented Orlando people. Megan Maroney was in that show. Krista Anderson was in that show. So um, Rico and Rosa's musical feast at SeaWorld. It was a short-lived show uh, in a restaurant at SeaWorld. And one of the casting directors from Disney, Mike Corcus, uh, happened to come and see us when it was a new show and Laura Hodas being ever present and amazing and and great at networking said to me when we came backstage Jen you just did a show for one of the casting directors at Disney World so the next time you're auditioning at Disney World you need to make sure you're in his room and when you audition for him you need to tell him that he has seen you perform in a show mm -hmm. and so I did that and uh, Mike Corcus basically kind of started my my Disney career shortly after that. I did some regional theater stuff. And then finally, um, one of the contracts lined up and uh, I started full time at the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in recent years, you have been in Finding Nemo the Musicale. Yes, I spent the majority of my time at Disney at, uh, at Finding Nemo. Ten, 11 years, I think it would have been in September. Yeah, Ugh, yeah. That's sadly we're all talking about that stuff in the past tense, but things will start coming back. We have to hold yes. on to hope. And the sign for Finding Nemo the musical is still up at Animal Kingdom. It's just there's no show times. Yes. So hopefully that will be one of the shows that as we proceed through the year and 
things start coming back. Hopefully that's one of them. But yeah, Paul yes, Padilla I have my has toes, been... my fingers, my hair, everything's crossed. Like yes. <laughs> what were you yes. gonna say, Paul Padilla? I love who I love and adore. Paul Padilla has been a frequent guest on the podcast because he is a probably a bigger facts of life fan than I am. If wow. that can be possible. So that's he saying is, something. Yeah. You and I performed together. We were lucky. I love that we had a brief shining moment in the sun where we got to do a fun little game show for the Disney Vacation Club members. Yes, that was and, super fun. Oh, it was so much fun. And it was a, a great way to kind of branch out and do a different gig. We were doing it about once a month because it was a weekly yeah. thing and they rotated us. And I always loved it whenever we were able to do it together. And I, I agree. so love getting to talk to you again now and see your beautiful yes. face. Yes, I'm enjoying it too. So, so much. Yeah, we had such a good time. Uh, you're just a wonderful person to work with and oh. chat with. So this is, this is a breeze. This is easy. Oh, start. <laughs> um, and, and lastly, are you working on any other big projects now? I know at one point you were working on a Lady Gaga tribute show. You know, I, I dabble sometimes. I'm kind of that classic artist brain where I'm kind of scattered. And sometimes I actually have a little difficulty with follow through. I come, But the Lady Gaga thing actually had quite a lot of follow through. But it turns out um, a, not quite as bookable when you're not doing like Elvis or somebody who's passed on. You know, Gaga's still doing her concerts. Yeah. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> so it, it actually... Actually, the uh, booking of that show was a little difficult. It was quite a big show. It wasn't an inexpensive show because we had dancers and um, a live band. And so, you know, it just, um, it's still there. I still have the costumes. Mm -hmm. So it could happen. Who knows? I could bring her back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anything else like that? Uh, like sort of, I guess, in the pandemic, what uh, have you been working on? Anything else? Well, I've, I have three kids. So I've been... Um, it's actually been kind of cool to be home a lot more often and be a little bit more, they homeschooled because I have um, an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So we kept them out of school this year just to try to try to limit our chances as much as possible of getting it. And uh, so we've been home, all of us, all the uh -huh. time, every day, all the wow. time. <laughs> but yeah, so that's been eye, nice. your, your eye twitched a little, I think. I couldn't tell over the Zoom your eye might have twit is is that one of the one of the children in the background there yeah yeah that's the girl child back there that's she's the getting ready child. for dance class yeah. yeah a super talented musical theater performer in her own right also yes she's super talented yes and and super funny just like her mom Aww. i saw her i saw her at the garden in a production of annie and it was it was a great production but she was such a standout yeah I'm, she did i'm a, a big job. fan of of izzy warren Oh my gosh, I will tell her she, that, that will make her so happy. She, <laughs> she loves that. Yeah, she loves performing. She's a good little performer. Mm -hmm. Keep it in the family, family business. That's <laughs> yes. right. Yeah. All right. Well, Jen Warren, enough about you. <laughs> we have to get back to the facts of life. Yes, we do. We have more dissection to do. <clears throat> we do. Uh, so we come back from the commercial in the house again later the same night. And we, Natalie and Brian, come home from their date, and uh, Brian is stressed because he's like, "That guy was huge. I do not know how he is in my weight class." I'm very glad somebody wrote that line because wrestling is done by weight class. You wouldn't put Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby in the same ring, kind of a right. thing. Right. Right. 
So um, he's just like, I don't get it, but he, apparently he is, and I'm going to have to face off with that guy. So he's a little stressed. Yeah. And she's like, um, yeah. And uh, he says to her, do you want, do you want to have coffee? Just, you know, we can, do you want to just stay up and chill a little bit more and maybe talk about, you could talk about the job, which clearly we did not discuss on the, the seven hours cumulative drive we have just <laughs> experienced together. <laughs> and once again, Natalie makes light of it and she makes jokes and she evades and she avoids. And it's a little bit on the awkward silence moment before he says, okay, I, I guess I'll get going. Yeah. And, then as they leave, he says, you know that I think you're really special. And she responds with, that's nice to hear. And there Again. is a kiss. They do kiss. There's no making out, but they do kiss and he leaves. They did kiss earlier too. That's nice also. Just to yeah. see, uh, boyfriends with kissing and stuff. Um, and then in comes Blair. This scene, I swear to you, it feels like this show may have been written with Joe in it. And at the last minute, they had to quickly rewrite some stuff. Yeah, I to, can see that. To eliminate the part of Joe. And there is bits and pieces of it that do feel like they're filler. Not the least of which is Mrs. Garrett's B story with these roses that yeah. will, we will be bringing to an exciting climax conclusion <laughs> shortly. I'm making my ironic eyes when I say that. <laughs> uh, but Blair comes in. In this scene, she is wearing these hideously unflattering pajamas do you agree yeah. with me yeah like a moo moo it was yeah it was a top and a bottom but the, did it have a bottom i only noticed the top i couldn't tell if it was a big like a big long moo moo i i feel like it was still two pieces a top and a bottom but the top oh, yeah. was oversized and, and and it looked like it had some type of padding or it was it had structure to it the, sh the yeah. had a shape that was not <laughs> her shape yeah and the thing with pajamas is it's supposed to be comfy. They're supposed to just kind of drape. Yeah. And just a few episodes ago, back in uh, season six, episode two, we saw her in this beautiful pair of satiny pajamas. She had kind of like high heel uh, slippers with the marabou around the, the toe kind of a thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she looked like a million bucks. And with this, it's like, oof, wow. So it was Joe's costume too. Although I can't say that that costume goes better with Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, Joe sleeps in man pajamas. Oh, so, she's, yeah. she's a little bit of a, how shall I say, a tomboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is code. Yeah. <laughs> but she doesn't enter the scene to uh, display these unflattering pajamas. There's this long, weird, roundabout way of her basically saying, she's still up it's late because she went into the kitchen and then she heard them come in and she didn't want to come back out of the kitchen because she has four sponge rollers in her hair oh my god right yeah she was waiting and no she was wait she was hiding waiting yeah so she could listen and eavesdrop and then come in and psychoanalyze natalie <laughs> yeah but did she let on that she overheard things no. i feel like Right. But I don't even get that that was a thing. Like, I thought, okay, this is kind of a roundabout beat around the bush, a lot of lines saying a little bit of nothing. Yeah. Because it was going to be a, and I overheard the way you interacted with him. Let's yeah. talk. 
that didn't happen. Am I right? I think she's just letting Natalie get to it and she knows she will. Like she knows she's going to say it. I, I think it's on purpose. I think it's intentional for sure. That in my, when I was watching it. Yeah. I don't know. I watched it going, okay, this is a lot of nothing. It better be leading to something. And I feel like it didn't lead to much yeah. other than bringing up the job. And Natalie says, the whole night, I couldn't get that job out of my mind. And Blair says, there'll be other opportunities. And uh, basically, they go up the stairs arm in arm, and Natalie starts to vent and unload. Clearly, the, she hasn't done this yet where yeah. she's saying, I just can't believe it. I thought I was one of the strongest candidates. And then, the, yeah. and it's like, okay, so this is the, she's with her friends. She's talking about what she really wants to talk about yeah. versus putting up a front and putting on a face yeah. for the boyfriend. Right. Uh, so then we move on to the next scene. It's just, they go up the stairs and we dissolve to a little short bit that's cut from syndication that is in the store where Natalie is waiting for the phone to ring. And this is where we learn Brian hasn't called her in four days. And once again, Blair, Blair tries to comfort her. They talk about, people say women are mysterious, but men are mysterious. And Blair actually gets a little bit revelatory here and says, you know, Natalie, the longer I live, the less I think I understand how men think. And maybe this whole time I've been flying blind. And... And that's nice because it's, you know, Natalie, you're unloading and being vulnerable to me. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of doing the same in kind. And and then at the end she says, and if you tell anybody that, I will have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's this cute little scene lit that they extract. And then they walk together back towards the house. So as they come into the room, Mrs. Garrett is still arranging her roses. And she says, oh, good, you're here. And she calls Tootie in. So now the whole family is there since we'd have no Joe this week and by the way the other episode without joe they said wow it's so busy in the shop Ugh, of all weekends for joe to have to go home and take care of her mother after she broke her arm <laughs> like that's that's what they did they covered for it and gave an excuse in this show it's like she doesn't exist yeah nobody even acknowledges it <laughs> yeah so the writers are pissed off at this point that they had to come back and do this this quick shift if she didn't show up for the table read on monday they're like "Fuck, we tape on friday damn it right right so mrs garrett calls the girls into the room because she knows who her secret admirer is yes and here's the big payoff drum roll it's a salesman for the american beauty cheese company Aww. So that's why he calls her an American beauty. And we assume these are American beauty roses that he is wooing her with. And the girls are like, it was a salesman? Yeah. And she's like, yep. All he wanted was a cheese order. Yeah. And they are like, that is terrible. And Natalie in particular is like, he was toying with your emotions. That's a terrible thing. And she says, yeah, it is. Well, I got to go upstairs and get ready because I got a date with him tonight. Yeah. Ba boom. Hello. Yep. It's a nice little twist. A nice little twist, exactly. Um, and by the way, Mrs. Garrett is wearing pants. We do not see her wearing pants very often. Really? Uh, and, and she has on like one of those long knit long vests that comes down to like knee level, sort of a like a B. <laughs> Arthur kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but in black, not in a 1970s pattern you find on curtains. And uh, she looks great. Charlotte yeah. Ray is really slim right now. Yeah. Very yeah, slim, yeah. very flattering. And it's like, oh, just want to go on record saying that. 
I love that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that there was a difference from how they usually dress her, but she did yeah. look great. Always in a blouse, always tucked in, always an A-line skirt to kind mm-hmm. of accentuate the waist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that. But no, this is, she looked great. She looked yeah, terrific. She yeah. yeah. So then we have a Tootie and Natalie moment where Tootie is like, would you stop worrying about why Brian hasn't called you and just go talk to him? Tell him how you feel, the honest approach. And Natalie's like, no way. Yeah. Tootie's like, well, what do you have to lose? And she's like, I have everything to lose. And Tootie says, you've already lost everything. Go and talk to him. And Natalie says, you know, if I want boring advice like that, I could get it from Mrs. Garrett. And Tootie, God bless her, says, well, Mrs. Garrett has a date tonight and you don't. Yes. Booyah. That's a mic drop right there. That was a mic drop. It was a great comeback. And and she is proud of herself because she knows mm-hmm. it. Her reaction yeah. is absolutely one of those, oh, that is indisputable, irrefutable. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, she was right. Yes. So then we go to our final scene in the gelato place. Natalie shows up and <laughs> she says, I've been told to come here by my friends and against my better judgment Yes. to ask you. Are you giving me what's known in the ice cream business as the cold shoulder? Ha-ha! <laughs> so clever. Uh-huh. And so there's a little bit of a twist going on here. Uh, and why don't I let you talk uh, and for, for more than two seconds? And why don't I shut up here and let me uh, ask you to explain what happens now in this scene? Well, I'm afraid I won't go into quite as much detail as you do. I, I, I am not the expert, but essentially what happens is uh, he gets her to open up to him. He, he convinces her that it's okay for him to listen to her problems. And um, reluctantly, she does end up sharing and then it, she feels a lot better and it, you know, mm-hmm. builds their relationship and makes it stronger. Mm-hmm. And the thing I had said put a pin in earlier is that uh, he says to her, I haven't called you because I assume you're not interested. And I don't know what you're doing here if you're here to let me down easy. But and she's like, whoa, 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 what, where did you that? And he says, I knew how upset you were and you didn't want to talk to me about it. Yeah. So I figured, well, she clearly doesn't feel that close to me. Yeah. I and think he even said, doesn't he say like a. I was afraid that I liked you more than you liked me. Yeah. There's something to that effect. To that effect. And then here is the meat of the episode. I think this is what sums it up. And then this is where I would make some adjustments uh, in the notes that I'm going to send back to the writers in my time machine. (laughs) He says, I asked if you were upset and I got a joke. I told you I was upset and I got a joke. If I wanted to laugh, I'd go see Ghostbusters again. Which was the big movie of that year. But that is a 1984 time capsule joke. Bravo writers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then for how awesome he is, he says, I thought I was your boyfriend. The operative word is friend. Something's bothering us. I want us to be able to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> I, love it I thought so. the same thing when he said, I'm your boyfriend. The operative word is friend. <sighs> I about died. I was like, who is this uh, man? <laughs> exactly. So the tweak I would make, because this is a great scene, and I, in hindsight, after two viewings, I'm like, oh, I really like this episode, in spite of my 40,000 criticisms, is that what would have, I think, tied the loop a little bit tighter 
is. Remember in the earlier scene, he says, you're the greatest when he pops into the shop. What I would have liked him to have said instead is, you are so funny, Natalie. You're the greatest. And maybe even at another point in the episode, say, oh, I can always depend on you to make me laugh. Yeah. And emphasize just a little bit more that that is the role she perceives that she plays in his life as I'm the comic relief. I'm the one that makes him laugh. And therefore, I can't spring on him that I didn't get a job or that I'm sad about something. I make him laugh. And that's the foundation of our relationship. Yeah. That's there subtly. And God knows I don't use the word subtle very often <laughs> to describe this show <laughs> for how unsubtle it is typically. Like I said, it took two viewings for me to go, ah, okay, I see where it's, what, what, what's happening here. Uh, so that's my only thing that when we get to this final scene where I really think the operative word is vulnerability. Yeah. Natalie yeah. was afraid to be vulnerable to him and he was trying to draw that out of her and trying to be vulnerable to her and yeah. he wasn't getting anything. So he quickly retreated. Yeah. And and that's where the the disconnect the breakdown in communication was. Yeah. It also tells us about her character so much because obviously the only thing she truly values about herself is that she's funny. That's mm -hmm. really the only thing that she'll admit that is good about her. Yeah. And when her friends earlier were bolstering her, remember? Yeah. They said, yeah. "Well, you have this thing. Well, and I'm funny. Da da da. And I'm funny." Yeah. That, there wouldn't have been the need to change anything else in this episode other than a couple of times for him to say. He never actually says out loud, you are funny. I think yeah. you're funny. You make me laugh. Yeah. And that's what I think needed to be there Yeah. to, to, to tie like it all up. To hit that point home a little bit more of, as to why yeah. um, she not only believes it about herself, but she also believes that other people, that's, that's how they feel about her. Yeah. Because they've proven it to her. Yeah. And yeah. and Natalie is the funny one. That's really yeah. how the thing all that Natalie's the the sort of wisecracking one on the side, the you know, boy crazy, sometimes self-deprecating, but sometimes she gets uh, some confidence and you know, she snagged this guy. Yeah. And uh, and to to repeat the quote you just said, he says, I didn't think you cared about me as much as I did. And she says, Brian, I care a lot. It's really sweet. They hug, freeze frame, roll credits. And I think it's so fabulous. It was so good. It was so good. I'm telling you, this episode made me a fan. And here's the thing. We never see him again. Do they even acknowledge that he's gone? Do they break up? They no. don't break up on the show? He's just gone? No acknowledgement that he ever existed. Not at least at this point. I don't see it. And remember, this is the second episode taped for the whole season and we're actually 11 in. So there have been several episodes in taping order that have come since and there has been no allusion to natalie having a boyfriend losing a boyfriend and it's like why didn't you bring him back is it possible that this whole episode was thrown together because of the joe situation it was somebody's brain baby that they just were like i had this idea we've not established any of this but if you need a space like maybe the episode they had in mind like would not work do you think that's possible um, maybe they were like okay nancy has not shown up again this is the second week what are we gonna do 
and the special effects executive producer, Mark Miller, happened to be walking through the room. And he said, how about a show where Natalie's got a boyfriend and she's always making jokes and that's keeping him apart and he has to break down her walls. I got to get back to my computer. Um, I'm working on the Tron sequel. Uh, <laughs> I got a great guy. He was in Back to the Future. Here he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it very much could have been thrown together or it could be that it was... It had to be very quickly rewritten. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's I hard to say. I think it's interesting that he goes away and never shows up again and they never acknowledge him again. It seems like there'd be a reason yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is very, very weird. I think the biggest crime is that it was a little too subtle and understated. Yeah. And that's what a, what a wonderful problem to have. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like it's interesting to me now because now I'm going to want to watch other episodes to see because I liked the subtlety, mm-hmm. but that's because stylistically I like, I was watching it going, the acting is really good. You know, there it, yeah. did, it wasn't like over the top and sometimes sitcoms, especially from that era can be a little cheesy and, and we love that about them. It's not to say that that's a bad thing, but I actually kind of loved the super real moments that I was seeing, especially that final one that you just talked about, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought I loved that. Yeah. I would love to tell you, uh, examine the rest of this season and you're going to find <laughs> subtlety just like this. Uh, it's in short supply. (laughs) This is an anomaly. I think I'll still like it. I think I'll still like it, but actually I feel like it's really, it's interesting and fun for me that this is the episode that you chose for me because I do enjoy that style. So, Mm -hmm. so before I send you on your way, as we have reached the end of the episode and all of the wonderfulness that uh, we got to watch, uh, I like to do a little nostalgia exercise and ask you throw out, any random commercial from your childhood that you remember or liked my buddy my buddy wherever i go he goes my buddy my buddy my buddy and me (laughs) yes that has come up more than once that song was really i mean you're asking for commercials and so i'm going oh what commercials actually stood out and while we were talking about teddy ruxman i was like well now that is one that i do remember is my kid sister kid sister yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) um oh that's great well (laughs) jen it has been so great to see you and talk to you and get to gab again And I hope we're able to do this again. And until next time, my love, smooches and goodbye. Mwah! Mwah! And there you have it. That was Jen Warren. Only one correction this week. I referred to the uh, Jason Sudeikis, Kristen Wiig skit on SNL as the douchebags. Nope, that was a different sketch from much earlier in the first years, the Belushi Ackroyd years uh, that I'm thinking of. Those people were called two a-holes. Yeah, you could see how I could get those confused. But yeah, I'll post a couple of the sketches from the YouTube on the webpage. You can see them if you don't remember them or you want to relive them. Yeah. So next week, I'm going to be back. Yet another show, season six, episode 12, The Rich Aren't Different. You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That's all for now, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. 
Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.